we're going to turn together in our Bibles to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and we're going to turn to the 21st chapter, Revelation in chapter 21, and we're going to read a few verses from there first of all. As Bertie has said, it's so important to be praying, and uh, those perhaps uh, tonight, you've maybe uh, been a Christian a long time, and you've never really been in prayer meetings. So, so many young people come to the Lord, and I don't want to be cruel, but the average church prayer meeting is not a prayer meeting. It's not a true prayer meeting like the prayer meetings we had in generations past where men prayed into the night and where they broke through and, and that type of thing. The average church prayer meeting today is a pretty dry, dead thing. And sadly, it leaves it that people don't want to go to it. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't blame them, for I don't want to go to it either. But when you go to a prayer meeting where God is present, where God is drawn in, where God's presence comes, that will have a reviving impact on you. It'll deal with sin in your life. It'll bring you into a place of blessing. You'll come into a greater knowledge of God in your life. God will begin to work in your home. He'll begin to work in you. Somebody said to me, a, a dear friend of mine, he was, he was a Roman Catholic from uh, down in outside Newry. And a few years ago, he came to the Lord, him and his wife both. And he said to me after a while, he, he had been a Eucharistic minister in the local Catholic church, and he became a Christian, and we got to know each other. And he said to me, Alan, where, where will I go to? I thought to myself, That's, who would know what to tell you? because I don't know where I would tell you to go. And I said, I'll tell you, go where God is. Go where God is. And he was with me the other night, and he said, Alan, I never forgot that. He says, isn't that right? You need to go where God is. That can rule out a lot of churches, <laughs> even evangelicals. You need to go where God is. Where God's present. And you know where God's present? Where there's a hunger for him. A hunger for him. And God will come where he's wanted. So I would encourage you, if you're seeking God and you want God to really push you forward and you feel that in your heart and you're absolutely wearied of sin in your life and you're wearied of being dead and dry and you're willing to take a step with God into something that's real, I think it would be good for you to come. But if you're coming to judge it and say and to say some old dead prayer that you've said for 20 years, stay at home. You'd be far better at home. I shouldn't be saying this for I'm not in the, leading the prayer meeting, but I think Bertie will agree with me. But you need to come with a hunger and a desire. But that's not my sermon tonight. We're going to turn, you've hopefully looked it up, Revelation 21, and we're going to read a few verses. John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. I, saw, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Isn't that good news? <laughs> I have arthritis in my toes, and I'll be glad when that's gone, if it's not gone before that. There shall be no more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. 
And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Come over with me now, please, to the book of uh, uh, Isaiah. Over to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah. And we're going to read from chapter 65. Isaiah chapter 65. This speaks of a future day that has yet to come. Isaiah chapter 65. God is speaking and he says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. There's a lot we're going to forget about when we get to heaven. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that, ye, in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence any infant of days, nor an old man that hath filled his days. The child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner, being an hundred years old, shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, and they shall eat the fruit of them. Amen. And we know God will bless the reading of his word. Let's unite in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity to come together. And again, Lord, I yield myself completely to you, Lord. All that I have and am, and everything I ever hope to be or accomplish in my life on earth, I give it completely, unreservedly, and gladly into the hands of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would cleanse me now and sanctify me. And I pray for the oil of the Holy Spirit, that that gracious anointing would be granted. And I pray that your will would be done in this place tonight, as it is done in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want to speak to you tonight about a lovely subject that I haven't preached on for a long, long time. And during the week, God placed this on my heart, and it has just lodged with me. And I have been so enjoying, not just reading about it, but enjoying thinking about it. And that is heaven. Heaven. You know, most of us Christians are guilty of not meditating on heaven. Most of us spend our time worrying and thinking about the things that go on in earth around us, all the trials, tribulations, and troubles. But the Lord has given us this wonderful hope of a wonderful place called heaven. I wonder, do you ever meditate about heaven? You know, if you're going on holidays, most people, what they do is they do a little bit of research find out where they're going, what's it like, what have others said. And God expects us to do that. And he expects us to consider where we're going and what it'll be like. Let me say at the outset, not everybody will be in heaven. Not everybody. But the Bible tells us that those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation that they will be in heaven. 
D.L. Moody rightly said that there will be, when he get, got to heaven, he said he would be surprised that there would be people there who he didn't expect to be there. I really believe that. I believe that there's people going to be in heaven that we didn't expect to be there. But also, he said there would be people who wouldn't be there that he expected would be there. I believe that as well. Then he said the great joy would be that he himself would be there. <laughs> to know that you're going to heaven is a wonderful hope, isn't it? It's a wonderful hope. So often we have stood at the gravesides and sat in churches when our loved ones were laid out, and we have, we have just saw this side of eternity. We have come to the doorway of death, and there we have been stopped. And we haven't been able to see beyond. But the Lord Jesus, when he was here on earth, said much about what was beyond the grave for the Christian. And so I want to simply go through some, some thoughts tonight, and I want to present you some truths from the Bible. There are so many. The subject is so vast. But, but let me run through them with you so that I can paint some kind of picture that hopefully will help you to think more about heaven and if you're not a Christian, that it'll make you want to go there. First of all, it is a place. It's not some ethereal kind of place of imagination, but it is a literal place, just like earth. The Bible tells us that its location on two or three occasions. In the Bible, it's called the place heaven by the sides of the north. And so it's in the north, the Bible says. Now, the Scripture makes it clear that God created the heavens and the earth. God pre-existed all creation. He always was and he always will be. And so God created the heavens and the earth. He created the angelic realm and then he, he created humans. They're all distinctly different. Angels can't reproduce. They don't need to because God made them all on bulk. He made them all together. But humans are different. God made uh, uh, humans that they can reproduce. So that was the way in which God decided that humanity would build up. And there'll come a point when that will cease. Because in heaven, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. For some people, that can be disappointing to think, oh dear, oh dear, will I not know my husband or my wife, or will I, is that all completely gone? Well, we look at that as we go along. You see, friends, God made three heavens, and Paul talked about that in Corinthians, and there's a heavens that we look at out tonight, and it's the stars and the sun and the moon, and, and that's a heavens, and it's above us, and it's beautiful. But then there's a second heavens, and my understanding is that that second heavens is unseen, but it's really like an insular covering over the first heavens and over the earth. And it is in that place, that location, the second heavens, that there are principalities and powers, what Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, where strong demonic spirits and strong wicked powers govern and interfere and work over the earth. That's why prayer is so important, because when we pray in the Spirit, we can pierce those. 
We can break through them. But if you have a wee dead prayer meeting, then that, that doesn't happen. And then you go in dead and you come out dead. And then you say, oh boy, that would wear you out. Absolutely, because you're not breaking through, you see. But when you pray in the Spirit, you break through the second heavens and you get into the third heaven. And you open a portal, and when that portal opens, then heaven comes down on earth. And you feel the presence of God and you sense the power of God because there has been a breakthrough. And heaven comes down. That doesn't happen enough. But it does happen. John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, wrote a book on heaven and hell. And he said of, in his life that the angel that was assigned to him, a guardian angel, took him out of his body. It's a very interesting book. And took him out of his body and brought him through the heavens. And he recalled going past the sun, moon, and the stars and going through the second heaven and then into God's heaven. And he shared many things of what God showed him in that wonderful place called heaven. It's a real place. It's a world. It's another world. It's promised to us. By none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We have often heard the verses in John chapter 14 when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Some translations say there are many mansions, but the thought is a dwelling place. A dwelling place. So it's very probable that you'll have a home in heaven. You'll have your own home given by God. Now you have to be careful in what you say for various reasons because there are always skeptics. I remember on one occasion as a young Christian, the late Ivan Thompson said, Heaven will be one glorious meeting without announcements. And I thought that was wonderful. And then I said it one day at the table. And I said to my children, I said, heaven's going to be one big meeting without announcements. And they said, oh, oh, daddy, please, please don't let it be like that. You see, they hadn't been in many dynamic meetings, just these kind of meetings we're talking about. They were in them and they said, oh, oh if dear, if heaven's like that, you know, please preserve us. So I had to drop that one. Heaven, my friend, is beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our ability to conceive in our minds what it's like. But Jesus said it is there, and he said there are mansions in it, there are dwelling places, where he said his, those who belong to him, will dwell. John the Revelator, whenever in the early chapters of the great book, the Lord came and said, John, come up hither. And I will show you things to come. <laughs> so John was drawn up and he saw things that for us are so hard even to comprehend, those of us who study the Bible, about the wonder of heaven. In this that we read together in Isaiah 65, speaking of the millennial reign, which is, which is an insight to heaven. The Lord said, I'm making everything new. And he said, what was in the past will not come to mind. 
The Lord said what, what, what happened that was bad, the things that were troublesome, the things that were negative, God says that's gone. There's things I'm going to wipe out. You're not going to have them. You're not going to retain them. But I'm not going to just wipe you out. God says you're going to retain a lot. But the Bible says we shall be changed. We shall get a body like unto his body. The people that you imagine, well, I didn't get on so well with that person in heaven. Well, thank God they're going to be changed. And so are you. So there'll be no problems. Because the Lord will make us completely perfect and completely clean. And he will renew our knowledge. And we will see things much better and much clearer. The Bible says here that they shall not come to mind the things that were in the past. And he said, I will create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. Not a lot of joy sometimes with the Lord's people. Not a lot of joy. But one of the fruits of the Spirit is love and joy. And a Spirit-filled Christian is a joyous Christian. It doesn't mean that they're always happy, but they have a well of joy inside that comes from the Lord, and it's heavenly. And it enables them to proceed through all the trials and difficulties of life. A joy. I think I told you a few weeks ago about a friend of mine who had prayed with us for years and came to our prayer meetings. And he was a wonderful man of God. And, and he took an aneurysm and went to hospital. And they said to him that there's nothing they could do. And he knew that. And they said, you've just got a few hours or a few days maximum to live. And the pastor said to me, he said, Alan, I, I couldn't believe it. He said he was so excited. He said he was like a wee boy on his way to a Sunday school excursion. Couldn't wait to get to heaven. So excited talking about, I'm going to heaven. But my aneurysm has, has happened. I'm, I'm going to be free very soon. I'm going to be with the Lord. Great joy. Spirit-filled Christians always have great joy. There's a promise. But then there are people. There are people in heaven. Persons. You know, so often we think when we come to letting go of a loved one or someone we prayed with or somebody on the journey of life that we knew and they influenced us for good and, and we were at their funerals and we knew they were with the Lord, but there was very much a sense almost of detachment that they're gone. And you have to keep battling on and, and, and people that helped you and guided you and counseled you. But you know, friends... We're going to meet them all again. We're going to meet them all again. All those old warriors that prayed, <laughs> going to meet them all again. Go and visit them in their mansions. Talk to them. That loved one, that mother, that father that, that you let go of and it was very hard, going to meet them again. Going to meet them again. That one that came to the Lord just before they died, put their trust in the Lord, going to meet them again in heaven. King David said whenever he had a child born to Bathsheba and the child eventually died, and they said to David, you were weeping and now you have not, you're not weeping anymore about the little boy. Why? He said, I will not, I will not. He said, he will not come to me. 
but I will go to him. David was aware in Old Testament times that the little child who had died at birth, the little child was now with the Lord. David said, I'll meet him again. David said, I'll meet him again. Meet the little children. You say, well, will we recognize one another? One great preacher, J.C. Ryle, said, I don't believe that we'll be more stupid in heaven than we were on earth. Of course we'll recognize one another. Of course we'll have recollection of our life. We will know those who were in our family. Of course we will recognize our siblings. The relationship will undoubtedly have changed, but it does not take away the fact that there are people who will be, have been precious and unique to us on earth, and there will be a uniqueness with them in heaven. course you'll recognize one another. I remember a man saying on one occasion about he came to death and he almost died, but he was a lovely Christian and he didn't quite get over. The Lord got him back again. And he said whenever he seemed to arrive at heaven, he said what was strange was that everybody that had been involved in his conversion his mother and father had prayed for him. His Sunday school teacher had been do doing much for him. The evangelist that had led him to the Lord, he said all the people that were involved in him coming into the kingdom, he said they were all there to greet him. Could that happen? Of course that could happen. Of course that could happen. You see, friends, it's not going to be less adventurous in heaven than earth. It's going to be more adventurous. Do you remember whenever Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration? And all of a sudden the Bible says that, that as Jesus was transfigured and became blazing white and his glory shone out through his body, the glory that he had before he came to earth, that glory shone through for a moment. And when it did, it says that Elijah and Moses appeared and Peter knew who they were. And they talked to Jesus about the crucifixion. And Moses talked about the great exodus. That was, he was the man of the exodus. But he was talking about Jesus' exodus at the cross when he would die. And he would deliver the people. And they discussed it together. A conversation. In a language that was understood. And so heaven will be a place where we converse. Some Christians, you get to heaven, you meet Elijah, and you say, who are you? You not read about me on earth? I have no idea where were you. Amos comes along. Amos, who are you? <laughs> Did you not read about me? No, oh, I didn't know you were even in the, were you in the Bible. Ah, you were in the Bible. I, I was in the Bible. <laughs> read your Bible. Don't be embarrassed when you get to heaven. These guys meet you and say, Did you read about me? All children will be in heaven. All children will be in heaven. I remember on one occasion praying with a lady, and this has happened to me several times. But I prayed with a lady, and she had had an abortion. In fact, she had more than one. 
And she was very repentant over it, what had happened. And she knew she had become a Christian. She knew what she had done was wrong. And I remember when we prayed with her, my wife and I were both with her, and when we prayed with her, the Lord began to really minister to her. And just as we sat and the presence of God filled that room, we could tell that God was ministering to this woman, just looking at her. We knew God's doing something with this woman. And she began to cry. And when she had kind of got past that, she opened her eyes and she said, it's in heaven. And it's a wee boy. <laughs> she didn't know the sex of the child, but God showed her. And if you were to talk to her today, she'd say, I saw my little child. I saw it in heaven. Sure. All the millions of children murdered by our governments, all in heaven. All in heaven, every one of them. Once the human spirit is imparted by God to those little cells at the time of conception, there is a life. And if that little life is lost, by whatever means, it's not lost. God has given a life, and God retains that life. The little children are in heaven. What about our perception? <laughs> What's it like? You know, Ian McCormick was a man who told an amazing story. He was, he was quite godless, and he was brought up in a Christian home, but lived a very wild life. And he, he lived in, I think it was Australia or New Zealand, and he went out with stingray sh uh, uh, fish, and they stung him several times, and the poison went into his body, and he began to die. And when the ambulance came to get him, by that stage, his body was closing down. And as his body was closing down, and as he realized he was going to die, God was very gracious. In the old ambulance, he said, the Lord drew near to him. Now, those of us who are maybe very, very into our minds and really into how things goes with God, sometimes we find it hard to believe that God could really intervene with a person who's just at the verge of death, that, that God could step in. How could they be saved? We find that hard. But we have to remember that we are dealing with God. A loving God, a merciful God that's way beyond our comprehension. And God drew near, and he started to lead him. He showed him the Lord's Prayer, and he began to pray the Lord's Prayer in his heart. And he came to that bit where he said, Lord, forgive me. And God began to show him all the people that he needed to forgive, and he started to do it. And he invited the Lord to come into his life, and he got saved. And he tells the story of how then he died. And he was pronounced dead clinically. They had the, the tag on his, on his toe and so on. And he went to heaven. And he said whenever he went to heaven, he said the most beautiful thing. He said the moment that he got out of his body, the moment that, that death occurred, that that was, you see, you have a spirit body. You have a physical body that we're acquainted with. That, that body's failing and getting frail. And that body will die. But we have a spiritual body that's as real inside our physical body. And at death, our spirit is released. The silver cord is broken, and we're free. And we release out of our body, and we begin on the journey. Sometimes, whether it was Elijah with a chariot, or whether it was in the rich man when the, when the beggar died and the angels escorted, I don't know, but there's something of heaven there to carry you home. 
But I never forget the words that he said. He said, whenever I was going, he said, toward heaven, it was like waves of liquid love that went through me. Waves of acceptance. No rejection, no shame, no hatred, no condemnation, just love. Waves of love. You see, friends, when you go into the presence of God, you go into the presence of nothing but love. It's just love all the time. All you sense is the presence of God. All you feel is the nearness of God. All that is in heaven is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. It's all there. It, just heaven's full of it. <laughs> There's no bad atmospheres. There's no bad atmospheres. There's no nasty houses. There's no nasty words spoken. All gone. All gone. It's a lovely place. It's a lovely place. You see, the Bible says, I hath not seen nor ear heard. Neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. I, you can't, you can't see it. Ear, you haven't heard it. You see, one of the great problems that Paul had and one of the great problems God has in relating to us here on earth is that the spirit realm has been so impacted by sin. We're so earthbound, even as Christians. And Paul recognized that whenever he said in Corinthians, he said, I knew a man. And he said he was caught up into the third heaven. He said whether he was physically in his body or whether he got out of his body by his spirit, Paul said, I don't know what happened. I don't know whether he physically went to heaven. Paul said, I haven't a clue. But he says, what I do know is this. He said that he saw things he couldn't even communicate. He heard things he couldn't explain. You see, the Bible says in Corinthians or in, in Ephesians when Paul is writing, he said, that we might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of God and the height of, of Christ and the love of Christ that passeth knowledge. It's beyond us. It's beyond us. But it's wonderful. You see, friends, when Stephen the martyr was dying, they were stoning him. And as they were trying to put the last little vapor of life out of him, one world closed down. The earth realm closed down for Stephen. He's dying. And another realm opens up, and this is what he says when they're beating the last breath out of him. I see Jesus. Standing at the right hand of the Father. I see Jesus. Hmm. That's what happens when you leave the old body, my friend. You'll go into the presence of the Lord. You'll go to a city. You'll go to a country. You'll go to another world where there are streets, and streets lead to places by the way. You ever build a street not, not leading? The Bible says the streets are made with gold. The streets lead to places. The Bible says... 
that we are so limit, limited, but the Spirit of God knows all things, yea, the deep things of God. And there are times, and I have had the privilege over the years of meeting people who have some wonderful insights that God has just given them on the journey. Now, there are lovely Christians, and they don't believe that's possible. Listen, praise the Lord. You and I might disagree on that, but I believe that the Holy Spirit knows everything. And I believe the Holy Spirit at will can reveal things that are unknown in the earth and he can give them to the saints as he wills. I believe that. I believe in God. And you see, friends, over, over the years, I have met people who have had really unusual experiences of God. I remember reading a story of a lady. And whenever she was four, she came to know the Lord. And God very graciously gave her what we would call a prophetic gift. Like a seer, she could see things. She could see things that others didn't see. It was just a gift from God. God gives some people the gift of the evangelist, sometimes the preacher, the teacher. Some people have a gift of helper. There's many gifts, but the gift of a seer, it is unusual. But God gave it to her. And she used it always and has for the edification of the church, for the blessing of the church. And I was very taken and moved by the story that she told because she was asked to go to a home where there had been a death and she was asked with her mother to go if they would tidy up because this family had a bereavement in the church and uh, in a different church and they were just going to help them tidy up. They were just trying to help them. And this lady started to tidy and sweep up and so on. And as she was, she said, the Lord brought a name into her mind. And she said, Lord, who's that? The Lord said, that's the little girl that died. She's 13. Little Christian girl, 13, she died. She prayed a little longer and the Lord brought another name. She says, Lord, what's that? She says, that's her mother. He said, I'm going to do something. And I want you to take note of it. And this is what she said. She said, instantly, she found herself in heaven. And when she was in heaven, instantly, without asking, she knew that she was in the company of this little 13-year-old girl. And the little girl was with her great-grandfather, who had been a great Christian. And she said to this woman, she said, I can't wait to see mommy. Can't wait till mommy's here. And when I see her, I'm going to kiss her on both cheeks. And I just have so much to tell her because there's so much I've been doing. And God has so much for me to do here. And it's an absolutely fabulous place. And I just can't wait to see mommy. And actually what we're doing now is we're on our way to a park of some kind. We're on our way to that. And my great-grandfather, he's bringing me. And so she said, like that, I was back in my body. She said, whew, that was unusual. She said, Lord, what was all that about? And the Lord said, I want you to write that down, and I want you to go and see her mother. So she arranged to go and see her mother. Didn't know her, knew nothing about her. Sat down with her in a, in a cafe and said, listen, I believe God has showed me something, and he wants you to know, and I want to tell you about it. And she started to tell her the story, and she told her about this little girl of 13 who was with her great-grandfather. 
and how she was on her way to this kind of a park place, and she was very happy, and that when she saw her mom, she was going to kiss her on, on both cheeks. And the mother began to cry. She said, do you believe that I saw your daughter? She said, yes, I do. Why do you believe it? She says, because every time my daughter met me on earth, she kissed me on both cheeks. And she said, I found something under her bed from five years ago where she had a dream, and she had written it in her diary. And in her diary, she had the dream that she had gone to heaven and that she was with her great-grandfather. And they were on their way to these parks and these places of amusement and joy. And she said, you couldn't have known that. The lady said, well, God wants you to know that your daughter's really enjoying it, and she's looking forward to you coming. It's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful place. Boy, it would help you to live better. If you were thinking about it a bit more, it would help you to queue up and say, Lord, the best is yet ahead. Heaven's ahead. This is not the end. Sure, there's tears and battles and sorrows and sadness and all the things that come in life, but listen, heaven's ahead. Heaven's ahead. What's God's plan as we close? Well, I don't know the fullness of God's plan. <laughs> All I know is that it's good. And friend, whenever I look at Genesis, and I study, and I have studied a lot those early three chapters, I've got much blessing in my life about them because they show me what life was like before sin entered, and that's what heaven's going to be when sin's gone. And do you know what I find in the Garden of Eden? I find that it's a place of friendship. God said, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone on your own, but, but he had God. Yes, he had God, but he needed, he needed fellow human beings. God doesn't like us to be on our own all the time, and so we'll have friends in heaven. There'll be food, because they're sitting down at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it'll be food like you never tasted on earth. There's going to be fun. That's a disappointment to a lot of old, old, heavy, hard Christians. Fun. Couldn't be fun in heaven. You know, there's an awful lot of old Christians you meet, and they nearly think that laughter came in after the fall. Adam never laughed, you know, unless you have a big, long face on you. You couldn't be, you couldn't be happy. You couldn't, it's not possible. God is a God of joy. He gives joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's a place of worship and praise, just as the Garden of Eden was, where Adam never had a worry, and whenever God looked at, looked at Adam, before Adam even got into the place to see what he needed, he never considered what he needed. God already had a huge country for him, a country for Adam and Eve. It wasn't a wee garden, you know, you go into a lawnmower. Five great rivers flowing through a country. Do you think God's going to think any different in heaven? Do you think you're just going to get like a wee detached, like the build here, squash 50 houses in? Nearly a boy said to me one time, we're planning now, if you had a gap in their teeth, they'd put a house in it. 
My friends, God is generous. God give Adam a country. God will give you things you never had on earth, things you maybe wanted on earth and you couldn't have. You will have them because God will be demonstrating, the Bible says, the abundance in the ages to come, the abundance of his riches, of his grace. He'll be just lavishing his grace. That's what heaven's going to be. My children ask me serious questions I didn't used to think about, but children are good at that. And they said, Dad, what if, uh, what if we get bored? That was an interesting one. But you know, friend, it's not possible to be bored in heaven. You know why? Because heaven is a constant revelation. God is never finished. You never get to the end of God. He is eternal. And for all eternity, there will be constant revelation. You'll never get to a stage where you say, I know everything now. It's all, that never happens. Never. Because he's an eternal God. Yeah? It's a place of worship. It's a place where you make choices. You're not a robot. You remember Adam in the garden? God put, what was it, a multitude of, of trees? And God says, you choose. You want that? Somebody else wants that. You think God's going to change that in heaven? Think you're just going to be like a robot? You all go through the one. That's one thing I hate about a lot of churches. They make everybody robotic. They remove the character of the individual. They destroy the personality of the individual. Everybody has to look the same, walk the same, talk the same. God's not like that. God loves personality. He loves uniqueness. He loves us to express ourselves as he made us. Religion and church often destroys that and quells it. God's big. God's big. But you know, friend, as I close, if you want to be there, and I hope you do, you've got to come through Jesus, God's lovely son. The one who left this amazing place and came to earth. And at 33 years of age, he was, he was nailed to an old cross. The one who created the heavens, the earth, all that I have said, and even more. He was stripped naked. And he hung on an old tree. And the Bible says he died the just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. That he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was on him. And by his stripes, we can be healed. That same Jesus, when he died and defeated sin and paid the price for sin, on the third day he rose again and God raised him from the dead and he is now ascended at the right hand of the Father and he's in the center of heaven and his presence fills that place. If you want to be forgiven and be in that beautiful city, that country, You've got to recognize before him that I am a sinner. I have broken God's laws. I am guilty. Can you do that? God will help you because it's the truth. Your conscience will help you because it'll tell you what you are. You know the things you've done. You know the things you've thought. You know God knows about them too. But the good news is, despite the fact God knows the worst about you, he loves you and he wants you in heaven.
and you have loved ones tonight, and they're up there. <laughs> Can they see you? I'm not sure. I don't know. The Bible talks about the cloud of witnesses. I don't know all that they can or can't see. Some people say that there are those who have gone before that fought valiantly. I think of people who in the early days in this work who prayed, and I remember them coming to early morning prayer meetings, and they've, they've died. They're gone. Are they in the cloud of witnesses? Could they be looking down and seeing something of what we're doing? Could they be cheering us on? Possibly. Cheering us on. Chuck Mesler was a great Bible teacher. Chuck Mesler was just an amazing man, amazingly gifted, and he devoted his life to Christ. Great businessman, lost his business, devoted his life to Christ, and led multitudes to Christ. Multitudes. Great Bible teacher. He died when he was just a number, of, not that many years ago, he died. I was so moved when I had been so influenced by his ministry over the years. He had come through so many difficulties and sadnesses in his life. But you know, friends, when I looked down in front of his little casket in, in a little tent and the crowd gathered around, there was a plow, an old plow for a, for, a, for a horse in front of his coffin. And he left it in his will. He said, wherever you bury me, put a, put a plow in front of my coffin. Tell the people that I didn't turn back. Yes. Tell the people that I held my hand and I never looked back, that I wasn't worthy of the kingdom. <laughs> what a visual aid. What a visual aid. A man giving everything. I'll follow Jesus Christ. I'll leave a plow behind me and let everybody know that I'm with the Lord. Well, let's close. A little boy was born blind. As he grew up, he got very attached to his grandmother, and his grandmother talked to him a lot. And she used to take him out on a good day, and he'd feel the heat of, of the sun. He'd say, what is this, Grand? I feel the heat. And he, she would say, oh, it's the sun, and it's so bright. And, and then she would talk to him about the grass and the sky and his toys, and she would explain. But, you know, he struggled. He struggled. One day a doctor saw him and said, I believe I can heal this little boy. I believe I can get his sight back. They performed the operation and grandmother and parents were there and the day came when they took off the bandages and the little eyes were flickering. And the little boy was brought over to the window and he began to cry. The granny said, son, can you, can you not see? And he said, oh, granny, you never told me it was as beautiful as this. You never told me what this was like. You know, when we get to heaven, I believe that's really will be our sentiment. I never knew this. It's way beyond anything ever I heard on earth. Eventually, the little boy got his composure. He said, can you show me the man that opened my eyes? Samuel Rutherford said that great hymn, 
And one of the stanzas in the hymn just is perfect for that illustration. The bride eyes not her garments, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze on glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on the pierced hands. For the lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. Are you going? Are you going to Emmanuel's land? Are you putting your hand to the plow? You'll not turn back. Give your all to him. And look forward for an amazing adventure. <laughs> for all God's eternity. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that the Spirit of God, who is so faithful, will take the stumbling words and the Word of God and apply it in a convicting and saving manner into the lives of those that are not yet saved. We pray, Lord, that you will draw them to yourself. And by your mighty Spirit and the workings of his great power, that eyes will be opened. That, Lord, the veils will drop from the eyes and mind. That men and women be born again. And we also pray, Lord, for the Christians who are, who are traveling, but not as good as they could, nor as far as they should. We pray that veils will drop off tonight. We ask that you'll help those who are looking back, Lord, to get their hand on the plow and to say, by God's grace, I'll not turn back. He'll have my all and I'll, I'll carry through with him until all the traveling days are over. And when death comes, I'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would do this. We trust you, blessed Holy Spirit, to do this work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.